0: Hey, hey everyone, my name is Agnes Chen and this is a Rise Resilient podcast where we gather and connect so that all can rise resilient. Hello, hello. So in this episode of Rise Resilient, I have the privilege of speaking with Hajir Sale about grief after she shared these beautiful words with me. Grief is best when shared. Hajir has called Saudi Arabia, Sudan and Canada home and has lived in Calgary since 2006. And today she gracefully shares her perspective on grief and contrasts her Sudanese ways of knowing how to grieve with the act of grieving she has witnessed here in Canada. Little about Hajir, she is described by her community and co-workers as a passionate, values-driven, social justice-minded problem solver. She has dedicated her life's work to making our city, Calgary, Alberta, a better and more inclusive place for everyone to live. In her capacity as Community Facilitation and Engagement Specialist at Vibrant Communities Calgary, Hashir works tirelessly to create an environment of growth in our community, particularly for people with lived and living experience of poverty. Hajir's passion for community building also extends to her volunteer work, which includes volunteering with the Police Chiefs African Advisory Board, working with the Sudanese community, as well as working with local organizations that promote access to dignified burial services. Hajir believes that our city can become a better place if we all practice vulnerability with another. And in this conversation, she shares her wisdom, her knowledge, and she's brave in sharing her experiences here with grief. Hello? Hello, hello.
1: Okay, I could hear you through there. Okay. <laughs> All right, now I got it.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: Excellent.
0: All right, well, thank you so much, Hajir. I totally appreciate you taking the time this morning to hang out with me over, over the phone. So, Hajir, you and I know each other through the Trauma-Informed Care Collective of Alberta, where we both advocate and promote for um, trauma-informed environments. And recently, you and I chatted um, at a stakeholder's conversation um, on the community action on addiction and mental health strategy together. You had just such a beautiful perspective about grief. And to be honest, I got a little bit emotional listening to you describe Grief and how we can approach um, this idea of grief because grief is such a universal experience, at least in my own very personal experience of grief. Is that until we can really transform that experience of grief into mourning, it, it, you know, is when we can really heal. And I'm, if I can just let you take it away and really. You 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 spoke about grief so beautifully.
1: I would love to. So first, thank you so much. And thanks, I I you know for the to be completely honest, I thought I was a little bit babbling at the at the conversation in the mental uh, the mental health stakeholders meeting. I'm like I'm just gonna say what I think happened because it was it was quite raw. Yeah, and so I think it was it's just it, it hit me different. And so and it's it's no secret that during the time it still is, I I lost my a little cousin of mine to a violent crime. And it was the grief was different than when we get news from back home and all that kind of stuff. It was very raw and very in your face. And, and I think what I talked about at that moment is that my cousins and I who grew up here in Canada, we're not used to grief being so open. In the Western construct of how grief is done, people commend you on how strong you are. And so what happened was for us and grief, like the way it's done back home is you release. So it's, we're a communal society, right? I'm Sudanese. I'm from the communal society and most places in Africa and many places function almost the same way. Grief. And I think what I shared was, I'm a grief is best shared, right? Something my grandma says all the time.
0: That statement, grief is best when shared. Like I said, it made me tear up. Like that statement right there, I feel like can just change the world. You're so <laughs>
1: keep going. Yeah, but no worries. And you know, speaking of pedestals, like as you said, you put it away for later. To who? I grew up in Canada. I came here when I was nine. So I grew up here my whole life. When I went back home and I experienced like, Morning back home full on it shocked me right because i'm like everyone's crying right Men no, and, and women like there is no shame like i have my uncles when i go back home and i'm like hey i'm back from a long travel they'll just sit on the floor and cry they're so oh. happy to see me so it's open right it's not like the shame is like he's not a man whatever they look at us like look how brave he is he's not afraid of his tears he's not ashamed of his tears right, right. so right. um In songs and all these things, they'll talk about like, you know, a brave man who stands his ground against the enemy, but he's soft hearted and his tears are near for those he loves. Right. This is
0: so beautiful. Yes.
1: You know, they're always talk about these things. And then so I think when it comes to grief and mourning, it's, you know, the men will come and they're like, yeah, they're really quiet, but they never tell the women to stay quiet. Right. Mm -hmm. In in other cultures. And I think here, because we're mixing with other cultures and I'm from a Muslim faith, so I'm, I'm Muslim. When we go to the mosque and there's the crying, other cultures, they have like the women got to be quieter because it's just culturally how they like, it's how they function. And then they'll have it they'll be like, oh, the, the men will come and be like, you need to stay quiet, whatever. Sudanese men don't do that. They never say stay quiet. They sit there quietly. And when she cries, they tell her cry. Like I remember my auntie was crying. The men would come sit on the floor in front of her and cry with her. You You, you emote because you're allowed to emote. You cry with the dad because you're allowed to emote. Right, and they're all mm-hmm. like, "It's okay, like you know, feel it." And so when we talk about like you know, grief is is best shared. Is that this, there's this idea on a communal society, and I think we had to figure it out quickly. My cousins and I, when we're complaining about like, why are you you know why is this so quiet? Why are you all always around her? There's this obligation on me. So I didn't lose a son. We all know she lost a son, and so many of us didn't lose a child, so we don't know what it means to lose a child. But all of us have experienced loss and we know what loss is. So when we come and we we grief with you and we're mourning with you, we're all mourning loss, loss of everyone we've lost, loss of the fact that we know we're going to lose the pain. We know what it is. I don't have to exactly know your pain exactly to feel it. I know what it feels to lose something I love. I know it's like, I, I know where, like, you know, the underlining feeling comes from, and that's where grief comes from. And so when I come in, you know, you don't cry into oblivion. Right? You're, not, you're not crying into nothingness. You're not releasing all this pain and grief into nothingness. It's release it onto us. Share with us your burden of grief. It is my obligation, being here, is to take a piece of that grief, to lessen it from you. Don't take it alone. And this is the huge contrast from Western society in which like you're, you're expected to be this upstanding, perfectly functioning person. And you have a gaping hole. You just lost someone who's essential to you, right? If this was back home and you don't cry your person, everyone's like, they didn't love them. Um, an anecdote on the side, when I went back home, my cousin's uh, friend, her, their father passed away and they were raised in the United States. So mourning was very private, mm-hmm. very, very individualistic, very private. And so the girls didn't know how to mourn their dad, like culturally, how we, like how Sudanese people mourn. And so it was too much because they kept it in. They kept passing out. Right. So they'll pass out. And then their grandma will be like, get up. She'll sit them up. She'll be like, cry your dad properly. And everyone's like, yo, these girls don't understand what you're saying. You're you're telling them cry your dad properly. And they're just like, I'm trying and I pass out because I'm trying to be alone, but nobody wants to be, be alone. And everyone's like, you can't be alone. Because you're not supposed to be alone. So culturally, like the first 40 days, you're never left alone. You're not followed around, but there is always somebody around. Because you always need to feel there is, there is someone there. There are people there. We are feeling what you're feeling. We're here. We're thinking of you. you know. So don't worry. Like For example, in, in the house when there's grief, you never think about what you're feeding people, what you're doing. The community automatically takes care of that. The right. food, the water, the kids, all that's automatically taken care of. You need to just focus on your grief. Right. Mm-hmm. As the days go by, you slowly, you know, you come back, but you're for the first three to four days, almost a week, you're gone. Everybody knows this.
0: We are social creatures. We need those connections, mm-hmm. um, but we don't live that truth. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's uncomfortable in Western culture because we're not used to it. But it's, it, it is where we're constantly pushing, you know, even within ourselves, that idea of grief away and mourning away that we need to just get over it.
1: Yeah. And it's not, uh, you know, because I'm just going to keep making commentary about Western culture because I grew up here and I'm seeing the contrast, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's not just grief away. And, and it's this, there's this appreciation for silence, which makes mm-hmm. no sense to me, right? This idea that grief is silent, grief is mm-hmm. quiet, and grief is disciplined and behaved eight and you're like but grief is it's violent it it, it comes and it rips away at you it doesn't come and gently takes the person away
0: you said it earlier too is that grief is a universal experience whether it is the horrific loss of a loved Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. or the loss of a childhood or the loss of connections with people Mm -hmm. you know even within covid we all know what grief is and it's not yeah you're right it's not this
1: gentle departure it doesn't even matter if you know your person's palliative but the moment they tell you they stop breathing, you feel it like in your chest. Um, the feeling is like, I say, it, it feels like shah, right? It's just, it's this like immense feeling. You just feel it spread right across your chest and then down. It almost feels like your heart's your heart's crying. Feeds down your chest to your stomach. And it's just this feeling that hurts, even though you knew it was coming. You're watching it. You've, you've been prepped for it for months, but it still hurts. It's still violent in that way, right? It still hurts. And there is, right. there is never a passing that never hurts. You know, I, I went to a funeral to a, a colleague of mine. Her husband passed away and I knew him and I heard about it. And when I came, she's standing and there's someone like holding her. They're like, be brave. Culturally, we don't do viewings. So in it, Islam, like in back home in Sudan, even Islamically, like only the family would see the person, say their final goodbyes. And then the, the coffin's closed because you're, you're wrapped in like a simple white linen and then like cotton linen and then the, the coffin's closed. And then that's it. The family gets to see him. So this is the first time I go to a viewing and I see like there is a, like he's, he's a dead person like right there and he looks like he's sleeping. And, and so my friend's like, this is to help give closure. And I'm like, I don't know. He looks like he's sleeping. But now that I see him like he's sleeping and I understand that I want this to be the final image. I don't know if I want that to be the final image. I, I want to remember them as they were. And then when I'm seeing him sleeping like this, it makes it a little bit harder for me to reconcile the fact that they're gone, gone. I guess, you know, everybody has closure differently, right? If we allow people to grieve and and mourn at the same time, because I think when we talk about grief and mourning as stages, we always, it's, it's almost becomes almost a check mark in people's heads, right? They'd be like, well, I grieved and now I'm mourning and now I'm healing. It's like this checklist, check, check, check. But all these happen all at the same time right? They're all melded in together because you're mourning, grieving, and healing all at the same time. It's happening and it's hard for you to separate them sometimes. And I think people tend to think that these stages happen one at a time away from each other. They happen at the same time in varying degrees of each other, but it's all happening at once. And if we allow ourselves to see the complexity of, of loss and how it actually plays out because as I'm grieving and I got people around me who are also grieving with me, they're also taking pieces of my burden from me. They're sharing with me, my grief. I don't have to know you to know that you're crying. So back home, it's perfectly normal. You find someone crying, you'll sit and you'll cry with them.
0: There's a, there's a doctor, his name is Dr. Wolfelt, and actually, mm-hmm. or what, Wolf Wolfert, I believe he has a book and it's called Uh journeying through grief and reflections mm-hmm. on healing. And he, what his big theme is, is companioning mm-hmm. with mourners versus treating mourners. And I, I want to read this to you because it just, when you said that, it clicked. Um, mm-hmm. Like it just, it, you, you you summarize. So he, he writes, uh, grief is our internal response, but what integrates loss and helps us release towards the light of reconciliation is to find safe people and places that allow us to mourn. Mourning as distinguished from grief is the shared response to loss. It's grief gone public and it's learning how to process that grief. And I just feel like, this is knowledge that you've known like inside of you for, you know, generations and generations.
1: Mm. Yeah. We're social animals. I, I, I mix up Aristotle and and Socrates all the time. So I don't know which one of them said it, but one of them said like, you know, humans are social animals, something to that extent. And we are, we're very social. I think we try to push the idea of individualism to a piece that we don't need anyone around us. But I think COVID in, in, it's just in the nature that it made us all isolate. It made, this all realize that we're extremely social even those of us who are antisocial and even
0: in that sense that the you know everyone's going kind of through that grieving process even though it seems so much Absolutely. more surface but we're grieving you know the loss of having that normalcy having Absolutely. choice in going out in education for our kids and mm-hmm. right we're mourning that so it's it's all such a relatable experience.
1: Yeah. And mourning is, and you know, this is mourning gone public because we all, you know, people say, people are complaining about COVID. Everyone's getting cabin fever about COVID. And was like, COVID I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, this is us collectively mourning with one another, right? All of us, I could just be like COVID and everyone's like, oh God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, I know we all know this feeling. It's this one moment that we all understand what it means. You know, you got quarantined and you don't have to explain it anymore. Because we all completely understand like you're completely isolated from everybody. That is so scary. Now imagine it's so scary. You're isolated because of a sickness, but you still have people around like roaming and people kind of understand what's going on. But when you are grieving, you know, a a loss of someone and you're mourning them and you're completely alone. You're your own island, which makes no sense to me in which we're very open um, about many things. But when it comes to grieving, we have to have this, this this face on um there's a saying back home that says when you translate it it's like bad news needs company
0: oh wow yes
1: right bad news needs company so if i i woke up one day here a couple of weeks ago and uh there's someone we work with who got really sick and um their partner emails me at like midnight and i didn't see the email i woke up really early that day because i couldn't sleep and it was like 5 a.m and i read the email and i was like oh my god And so I need to tell the team and Megan wouldn't mind me saying this. And so I was telling, you know, I have to tell the team and I'm like, all right, I got to tell Megan. So Megan is, is the ED for Vibrant Communities Calgary. And I'm like, I'll wait till it's like 10 o'clock. And then I message her. I'm like, you have five minutes. And she's like, yeah, sure. I got five minutes. What's going on? I call her and I'm like, I didn't want to send this over email because this is not something that I'm just going to be like, here, by the way. Right. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I want to tell you face to face because I grew up. With, with the understanding that bad news needs company. If I'm going to tell you something that's bad, I'm going to call you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to calm you down. People need to be prepped for bad news. Always. Because no matter how put together they are, no matter how strong they are, it, bad news like a bulldozer just crashes through all those walls and everything about you stops. Everything comes to a halt the way your brain functions, the way you react. And a lot of times, and that halt comes in the work of shock of being like, what? What did you just say? What? And then you repeat it again. But in order for you to have the face-to-face and you give it company is that I am here to share with you this bad news. Because again, it comes back to like, you know, grief is best shared, but also this it comes into that because bad news bring with it grief. And so I'm like, I'm I'm letting you know, and I know this is bad for you. And I'm here to alleviate some of the burden in some way. Do you know other people who could help in alleviating this burden? Do you need me to call somebody? So, so we say, right? Do you need me to call somebody? In other words, do you need me to bring someone who's safe for you to share this with? To share this burden with?
0: Everything you're saying, that idea of, you know, to be empathetic, you know, mm-hmm. it's trying to understand another situation and to understand you really have to listen and we need to have time to sit and be present and listen. And everything you're sharing is is empathy on mm-hmm. steroids. Mm-hmm. It's just such a living truth the way you're describing it. Yeah,
1: thank you. You know, I think what happens is a lot of the times is we we, we we all heard the word empathy, but I don't think any of us take the time to fully understand what it is in action, um, I think a lot of the times we specify certain actions as empathetic, and others are not. But empathy is supposed to be—you're not supposed to think about it. So the way the way they talk about it, I'm back home, and, and the way you share news and information and you be empathetic is—I'm not supposed to sit here and think about how it's supposed to. I'm supposed to just react to what you need. I'm supposed to be always. Um, what do you my receptors are always open to reading the room properly and being like this person needs an ear. Right? Maybe maybe it's better if I stay quiet in this one. It's okay. I could critique it, but they don't need criticism at this moment. You know, for at the beginning, you're consumed by grief and that's accepted. I think that's that's I think that's the point I was trying to make before. And I and I miss it is that when you're consumed by grief, allow it. You know, I, I like I use this with my friends all the time. I'm like, wallow in your own suckage. I wallow in my own suckage. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> just don't drown in it. I'm like, wallow in it, roll around, get covered in it. Just don't drown in it. And I,
0: I, and I, I think everything you said,
1: grief is best when
0: shared. You won't drown in it when you have others who you're sharing it exactly. with, which is
1: a beautiful exactly. And I think at that moment, allowing you to be consumed by your emotion and be like, it's okay. Normalizing, being consumed by emotions for a certain period of time. Not forever, of course. A certain period of time. But validating the feeling of I feel terribly, I hate this wallowing in my own suckage. I'm in grief and allowing you to be completely consumed by it. I, I think this is the piece is when you're when it's being shared. We all know you're consumed by it, so we're like, give us some of that. Let us consume with you, so it's not a black hole, so that there are patches of light there somewhere you could find your way back to us again
0: oh hajir i could just talk <laughs> to you forever all of this is just so beautiful. i could talk
1: forever <laughs> as well so it's one of the seriously. things.
0: seriously that's why you need to start a podcast <laughs> and just share this wisdom and truthfully i just think all of it I, you know when, when you first mentioned it it all um you know we all know we're social creatures we just don't know how to sometimes do that and sometimes we push all these harder topics away like grief and i just feel like you know everything you said is saying no bring it in and bring some to me and to them and let's share this and we will get through
1: it right you're not weak to show it's actually quite you know it's strange it's quite brave to be vulnerable and i think this is it it's 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 the having the bravery to be vulnerable knowing that everyone else sees it as a weakness
0: you know, being able to convert that grief into mourning so that we really do help each other rise resilient. And somebody like myself as a parent Mm -hmm. who has kids, I want everything you said, I want our community to like our roots to be infused with that, because I know every kid would be my kids, your kids, those kids, Mm -hmm. they'll all be able to rise and be resilient with that mentality going forward. Can you share, you know, I already think I know the answer to this, but Can you share what has contributed to your resilience today? Today, hmm.
1: I think it's more, you know, it's upbringing and it's different things. So we moved to Canada when I was nine years old, um, forever ago. And um, when I first came to Canada, what happened was I didn't speak any English. So zero English. I knew three words. I knew yes, no, and an extremely exaggerated, like, okay. And that was it. (laughs) (laughs) all i knew right and so when i first when we moved here for the first 6 months and a little bit more than that probably i was extremely angry at my parents i was so mad at them they took me away from everyone i loved everything i knew everything that i was familiar to and they brought me here and i'm like why i don't understand the people no one looks like me no one walks like me there's white stuff on the ground and it's like falling ice it makes no sense it is cold <laughs> Right. It just it made no and then what shocked me the most and to this day, I'm like dogs listen, you could talk to them. This is incredible. <laughs> like why are people and, and I still don't like you know the idea of pets and in, in, in the way that it's it, it just it I'm like they're treated like family members. I thought dogs were like god dogs. <laughs> I don't understand this. Like they're like a baby. Like I just it still confuses me. But um
0: oh my god growing
1: up not speaking any like I didn't speak any English I didn't understand anything and then it took me a while to kind of find my place because all of us I had to learn English and so I understood English faster than I spoke it so it took me about six months to be able to speak back right and so my accent is an amalgamation of all the accents of the ESL teachers who taught me so each one had a different accent. <laughs> so I just imitate them. Whatever they say, I imitate the word exactly like how they say it. And so I quickly picked up the language. But then I realized, I don't I only need to pick up language, I need to pick up culture. And I just can't wrap my head around this culture. And I think a big piece that made me like just build my resilience piece huge is because all of a sudden I ran into this wall that I was black and I couldn't comprehend what that meant. It, it just it, it, didn't, it didn't exist in my realm that I was black. Right? And I'm like, what does that who is black? Have you seen the color black? I am not that. But I didn't understand that it was a it's a concept, it's a culture, it's a an idea, it's a history, all of that. You know, the, the Western construct of racism and discrimination doesn't exist where I'm from. I know I know tribalism, I know colonialism, in the sense of like we were our country was colonized and we man, you know, the, and they left. I understand regionalism, political strife. I don't understand that you don't like me just because I exist the way I exist. It didn't, it didn't click. So it took a while. It took a while for me to be like, yeah, yeah I am black. Because for the longest time, I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. Racism and discrimination. The thing about it makes it so insidious in Canada is that it's done with a smile. You know, I'm like, racism in Canada is so vile. It's done with a smile. Like you, you start thinking something's wrong with you. You're like, maybe it's me. One, my parents were like, be you, just be you all the time, be you. And my dad is big on, like, you know, just um, the etiquette of discussion. He's always on that. So he'll he'll argue with me on something. And I think the best thing he taught me is when he doesn't know something and I'm arguing with him, he tells me, I don't know, I'm going to go research it. You go research it. And then we will come back and continue this discussion. And he'll come back with books. And so I had to learn to come back with books as well. And he's always like, build your own argument. You don't have to agree with me. So him and I, when we disagree, it's perfectly okay because I'm disagreeing on a principle that I have my research and I made up my mind on this. And then he's disagreeing because he made his research and he made up his mind on this. And then I think the way the family, and they're so supportive, my family. And I love them to bits. And even though they don't fully comprehend racism and discrimination, my dad, until this day, when we do the census, when we fill in the census, my dad does not fill in. My dad always checks off other and writes certain
0: he never oh no <laughs>
1: yeah. but perfect yeah. but perfect yeah.
0: it's you're you're not one of three boxes. yeah he,
1: he never chucks off black he never does because he's like black people are black canadians and black americans are canadians who happen to be black with their experiences with their history with their culture with their understanding yes i share a skin color but that's it i don't share all these other pieces and, and he is correct and then he went to new york to get his driver's license and when he went and he checked off other and the lady who's doing it, she's a, she's another black lady. And then she's just like, she looks at him and she's like, brother, you're not other. You're black. And he's like, no, I'm Sudanese. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> right? and she's like, no, 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 no. You are. And she's like, she's like, everybody look at him. What is he? And everyone black. And he's like, no, <laughs> no he's <not> dad. <laughs> and then I step out of the house when I'm home, I'm Sudanese. That's, that's who I am. And then I step out. I'm Sudanese, yeah, but I'm Black. All that Sudanese-ness goes out the window. My dad could be be the king of Africa. It doesn't matter. I am societally recognized as Black. It doesn't matter where I'm from. It doesn't matter who I am. What I look like is what dictates how people treat me. Growing up, trying to understand my identity, I guess is where the resilience piece comes in, right? It's like trying to navigate it well enough for it not to hinder me. But trying to understand, I'm still trying to understand it, of course, um, growing up, trying to navigate these different identities. But I think also the negativity that comes with understanding how the systemic racism has impacted my life and my family's life, especially my brother's. Right. When it came to police treatment and when it comes to um, jobs, when, you know, watching my dad poring over the newspaper, memorizing stats from hockey. So he's able to hold a two-minute conversation with his colleagues because they don't talk to him. Wow, right? And right. he doesn't comprehend hockey. And so he pours over it, over and over, and they'll still make fun of him. Like, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing, whatever. And he's, So he's just trying to fit in, right? And he he memorizes stats. He knows what it is because he's just they're just trying to fit in. And so yeah. um, there's this great tweet. And I think this is where the resilience uh, piece comes in and all that. Um, someone wrote, they're like, my parents came to this country to find a job and they left me to find an identity and i think that's it is is all of us who are constantly working myself i'll, I'll speak of myself we're always con- trying to figure out who we are i know who i am alhamdulillah mm-hmm. i know who i am i am hajir i am i'm pretty secure where i stand but i think my calling the way that i look at it i would love to make sure that everyone else is able to see themselves as worthy and as someone who is who, who is stable in their identity right and so i find i feel responsible that i'm blessed enough to be able to work where i work to share what i share to speak the way that i speak and if i let's say i'm able to do something that makes you see yourself you're able to do it too you don't have to go Oh, beautiful it. Yeah, to if share. i had to go through it so you don't have to go through it i don't, don't have you. to know you but i know that i saw some people who made it somewhere i'm like i want to do that as well oh Hajir. honestly
0: i just think everything um yeah you are just you are such a beautiful person and i think your words and your wisdom and all that you are is just needed i think this
1: is the pieces we're all connecting because we're all listening to each other so thank you
0: thank you thank you thank you hajir for your beautiful words of wisdom and for sharing your perspective on grief I hope more than anything that this conversation inspired all of us to look inwards and think about how we grieve, to think about what we're grieving, and how we can transform that grief into healing, and perhaps how we can just take it one step further and look around us and support another to be able to grieve in whatever capacity that may look like, whether it is silently or out loud. But how can we be there and journey and walk alongside each other, especially today with COVID in our lives? Thank you again. And here is to episode 10. Have a beautiful day.